Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Shine, Jesus, 
receive our morning offering, please, at this time. Brother Daly, will you lead our prayer? Special thanks to everybody who has had part in this. By the way, this is a, um, a choir fundraiser or recruiting. All these people I've paid to be here this morning to sing. The sad thing is, they don't sound as good as our other choir. 
So I'm looking forward to having those guys back up here uh, in a few weeks. Um, I, I appreciate your sentiments on, on the birthday. You know, 18 never felt so good. So um, that's a compliment to you, too. Anyway, as we continue to worship our Lord and Savior, as we sing, shout to the Lord.
para
I debated all week about if I should say something before I sing this song. And I've learned one thing. God tells you to do it, you better do it. I grew up with this song and honestly completely forgot about it until I needed it the most. This song was exactly what I needed at the right time because it's easy to lose focus. It's easy to go astray and try to do things on your own. But one thing I've learned, that if I make these words my prayer, life is so much better and so much happier.
of you on this side of the house who were wondering, she was over there, even though you couldn't see her. Those of you on this side of the house, you don't know what I'm talking about, I challenge you to go sit over here and see if you can see the pianist before you leave. It is always exciting to preach on Bible School Week. In my time here with you at Rocky Valley, I have preached in the ocean, I've preached in space, and this year I get to preach in a stadium. Now, here is the challenge. All of those folk are cheering right now, and all of you folk are staring. <laughs> so let's pray that the Holy Spirit of God would descend in such a way that all you folk would be cheering. And all those folk will be jealous by the time we get done. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Faith changes the way you live. Faith changes the way you live. Now last week we touched the first two verses of this chapter, of this great letter from Paul to the Thessalonian church. And we dealt primarily with the thought that quite frankly now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to quit. Now, if you weren't here or, or you forgot or you don't remember, I challenge you to go back to uh, SoundCloud, find a podcast, go to the Facebook video, see one of our wonderful dedicated members of our tech team in the back, tell them you would like a CD copy of it, but I would like for, for, for the challenge to be, any of you didn't hear that message, go back, <clears throat> get a copy of it, 
and listen to it. And I say that not because the pastor was so good, uh, because I, I am certainly never very good. Uh, I say that because the Holy Spirit of, the, of God descended uh, and, and, I, and spoke to many of us. I've talked to several of you this week who said that it spoke to you the way that it had to me all, all week. Because quite frankly, now is not the time for us to get complacent. Now is not the time for us to lack a zeal for the Holy Spirit. Now is not the time to stop serving the Lord. Uh, the, the harvest is, is too plentiful. The laborers are too few, the same as they have always been. And now is not the time for us to get weary and tired and give up. Now, never has there been a more appropriate week to preach that message heading into than the week on the church calendar when Bible school is. Because I know, as many of you know, that by the end of the week, many people will be weary and tired and having come to the church every evening for, for three, three and a half, some four, five hours as they prepare. And by the end of the week, we'll be tired. And we'll be saying, I don't, I don't know that we should do this for a full week next year. Maybe we should do three days. But by Saturday or Sunday, we'll look back and go, thank God for all the children that came through this house and the sacrifices that were made. Now's not the time to quit. I'm also fully aware that this Saturday we have a special guest speaker coming for a men's night. Now's not the time to quit, men. It's not the time to not show up because it's the end of Bible school or it's the day before Father's Day. Now's the time to gird together, stand up, come and worship together a holy Savior and Lord. Now, I know you might say, Brother Jason, you're crazy. You've booked men's night and Bible school in the same week. You're going to push us too hard. You're going to cause us to do too much. But might I remind you that I'm the same crazy guy that booked Bible school and revival back-to-back -back last year. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I think we had a great Bible school. And most of you have told me it was the best revival you've ever attended. So it seems to me that when the people of God put themselves out there to worship their God, the Holy Spirit of God provides for His people, enables us and strengthens us to praise His holy name. And we don't grow weary of praising God. We don't grow tired of serving the Lord. We just grow ready to serve him more. So this morning, we're going to be in just three verses of this same chapter and book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. On the idea that faith changes the way you live. John MacArthur has coined Christianity as a shoe leather faith. And I like that explanation. And this is what he means by that. Christianity cannot be a religion that has no effect on you. It is one that changes your daily life. It is a working faith. In other words, it's a shoe leather faith. Uh, other religions can claim an ethical or moral standard or code that they call you to live to, but honestly, you'll never be able to live up to that moral standard or code that the other religions call you to. But Christianity is the only faith where it says you are not good enough, you cannot be good enough in and of yourself, but Jesus Christ was good enough, has already been good enough, and is the only way that you can ever be made good enough to be saved. And so in other words, you don't work to become good. Christ makes you good and you want to work to serve him. In other words, I can't work to earn Jesus. But because I got Jesus, I can't serve him enough. And that should be the idea for us as Christians. Please stand if you're able in the house for the reading of the Holy Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 
And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell among us, Lord God. God, we thank you for allowing us to sing the songs of worship that we have been able to utter to you. And we pray that they lifted and glorified your holy name. God, we pray for the speaking and preaching and teaching of your word, God, that if anything would be said in error, Lord God, you would mute the mouth and and deafen the ears that it wouldn't be heard. But God, that every word would glorify you in your holy name, Lord. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it is in your sweet name that we pray as all of God's children said... Amen, and you may be seated. So we said last week, and it bears repeating, Paul, in this letter to the Thessalonians, doesn't give any scathing rebuke. He doesn't come to them in this letter and really address them down about what they're not doing well. In fact, he said they brought him joy. He said they're doing a good job. He said their love and and the way that they're serving, he thanked them for all of those things. So this morning, we're going to look at the words of Paul, and just like last week, we're not going to be dazzled with some new thought that we've never had. We're not going to see Paul uh, bringing out some kind of, 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 of hidden truth that we've never thought of or that we've never seen before. It's going to possibly, though, even though we're not going to see anything radically new, be a very convicting message that calls us to do something that we already know we should be doing. Let me say that again. Paul's writing to the Thessalonians is going to call us to do things that we already know we should be doing. It's kind of like when you go to the dentist to get your teeth cleaned. And while you're in the chair, the lady's scrubbing on your gums and they start bleeding and everything starts hurting in your mouth. And what does she say to you? You should be brushing those teeth at least twice a day and flossing at least once. Did she tell you anything you didn't already know? She told you something that you've been taught since you were a very little child. But she told you something she probably wasn't doing. And your sore gums are a reminder that you haven't been doing what you ought to be doing. And that's what Paul is going to call us to do this morning. We're not going to see anything in these verses that you haven't been taught before. But we may very well see some things that are going to cause a conviction to our lives to say we're not doing those things that we know we ought to be doing. And the first thing Paul's going to do is call our attention to the fact that as believers... We should love one another. We should love one another. Oh, that's easy, Brother Jason. Is it? Good. This should be a very easy point for all of you. You can wait to point two to kick in, but just for giggles, we'll go ahead and preach through point one anyway. Love one another. Paul starts that statement interestingly. He says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write for you. So he says, uh, concerning the the brotherly love, the, the Philadelphia love, the philo love, you don't need me to write to you. You don't need me to write to you and tell you to have brotherly love for one another. Why? Because you're taught by God to love one another. What's Paul even talking about when he says you're you're already taught by God? I don't need to write you to tell you to love each other in a a brotherly fashion. You've been taught that by God. Romans 5.5, it says the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, if you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you've been taught To love. Well, what if a Christian doesn't love, Brother Jason? Well, then he's not a Christian. 
Well, that's a strong statement. How can you say that? Well, I can say that because if you have the Holy Spirit, you've been taught how to love. Now, maybe some of us show it in different ways. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're a Christian, you love one another. That's what you do. You have a brotherly love for one another. 1 John 2, 9 says that he who says he is in the light, so he who says he's saved, and hates his brother is in the darkness, and he is a liar. The one who loves as a brother abides in the light. 1 John 3, 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love one another. Paul is saying in his introduction this to us this morning. I don't have to tell you to love one another because if you're saved, you'll already be doing that. But Paul does something with his language uh, towards the end of verse 9 that kind of leads us into verse 10. He says, you're, you're taught by God to love one another. Now, in, in, at the end of verse 9, he, he's kind of making a transition. So he's starting with our brotherly love, and then he uses that other word. Now, I know I don't get into a lot of Greek word studies with you, but it's important here. It calls our attention that Paul is telling us to do something. At the end of verse 9, he's making that transition into what's called an agape love or a God type of love, a pure and complete and total type of love, the truest, purest, deepest God-like love. And he says, now that's how we're supposed to love one another. So he says, concerning brotherly love, listen, you know you're supposed to do that. And he says, but you're taught by God to love one another with this pure, uh, completely unhindered, completely a crazy type of love. And then in verse 10, he says, hey, everybody knows you. Because of your love. Throughout all of Macedonia, you're known for being a loving people. But then look at the end of verse 10. We're going to see the same thing that Paul did to us last week. He said, but I urge you, increase more and more. There goes Paul again. What did he do last week? He come up beside us, right? And he said, listen, I'm calling upon every bit of respect that I've garnered from you. I'm calling upon everything I've gained. I'm calling you as someone who loves you, who's someone who's been with you, as someone who's earned the right to ask you, I'm telling you to do more and more and more. And here he does it again. He says, hey, here, I need your attention. I know you love throughout Macedonia. I know people, when they think of the church of the Thessalonians, they say, boy, that's a loving church. But here, as your mentor and as your pastor, I'm calling you to love deeper. I'm calling you to love more often. I'm calling you to love better than what you're doing. You're not doing a bad job. I'm not saying that you don't love at all. You have a reputation for it even. But I'm telling you that you can love better. Now think about that with me. Because I believe that's where we find ourselves this morning, Rocky Valley. In that same boat. We're here. And last week I asked you not to quit. And if you're going to quit on serving the Lord, then the result is going to be displayed in the way you love one another. Because if you love the Lord and you serve the Lord, then it is going to be displayed in the way that we love one another. I'm not saying that we don't love one another. I'm not saying that in the past we haven't loved one another. In fact, I would say that we do a pretty good job of loving one another for the most part. 
But my friends, if this church is going to be the light that God placed in this community so many years ago, then quite frankly, in this century, in this generation, and in this people, I'm going to ask you to do something, and that is love better than you've loved before. We're going to have to love more. We're going to have to love deeper. We're going to have to love better than we've ever loved before. What do you mean? I mean we have to become more selfless in the way we love. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? Not what can I do so that I can get something back from you later, but what can I do just because I love Jesus, I love you. How can I impact your life in the way that Jesus impacts mine? I mean in our Bible school this week. What a tremendous opportunity we have, church. We can love on kids every single night this week. Now, we can love on kids every day of the year, but, I mean, we've set this week aside. And we said we're going to invite as many kids as we can get in this house this week, and we're going to have fun with them, and we're going to, we're going to decorate. We're going to do all these things, and we're going to love on these kids every single night. Even on Thursday, we're going to keep loving on them when we're tired. Even on Friday, when they bring their old nasty parents with them, we're going to love them then too. I'm just kidding, parents. Most of you aren't nasty. The rest of you will get that later. We say, well, Brother Jason, I don't come and teach Bible school. I've passed that age. I'm no longer able to, to, to do that anymore. I can't crawl around on the floor with those kids. I, don't, I can't decorate that. I don't crawl up and down the ladders anymore. You know what you can keep doing? You can love them by praying every day. You can pray for every kid that's coming through here, and you can pray for every teacher that's carrying the torch that you once carried. And you can thank God that the mission of this church carries on. How can, how can I love one another? Well, I don't know. We have a tremendous ministry called Hearts for Hunger here at this church where we get to go out and love on communities that are within a golf ball stroke from this church. Well, one's a long shot, but one I could, I could still hit. One, we might need Larry to hit it with a baseball bat to get it there. But nonetheless, those communities are within a stone's throw of this church, and we get to love on them every month. That's how we can love better. We can love deeper. We can love more. What can we do? We can say, you know what? I love others because Christ loved me. You know what else we can do? And this is going to be even crazier. Instead of even going out the door, instead of having some big Bible school, instead of doing something else, we can look to the other side of the congregation to that brother or sister that maybe we've got a problem with or that maybe we've got a dispute with or a discomfort with or a disagreement with or maybe we just flat don't like them. And you know what we can do? We can go put our arm around them and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? You don't even want to know. Just know that I'm sorry and I love you. You might be amazed what the Holy Spirit of God can do with a broken and contrite heart. And you might be surprised at how Distant a Holy Spirit of God will be when there's not a broken and a contrite heart in the house of the Lord. So how do we love one another? Purer and deeper and more. We do things that we've never done before and we do it in a better way than we've done it before. And we don't quit. Because now is not the time for us to give up on any of these things. Christ said he loved the world so much that he would die for it. And you know what he didn't do when he, when he put that statement, John three sixteen. Do you see a clause in there that said, for God so loved most of the world? For God so loved some of the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that fit into your pocket. No, no, he said, for God so loved all the world. 
If God wasn't picky in who he sent Jesus to die for, do you think he allows you to be picky on who you love on this earth? Of course not. You're his disciple. You're to love one another. Paul says, love one another, but then he tells us to do something else. He goes on. He gives us more instruction. He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. He says, love one another, and then he says, live quietly. Now, wait a minute, Brother Jason. You just said excel more and more and more. That's a pretty eager and aggressive statement. You told me to do more and be more and don't quit and and, and all those things. That seems like something that doesn't call for quiet living, Brother Jason. That seems like I should be boisterous and I should be loud and I should be proud. Isn't that contradictory? I mean, Paul says eager and then he says basically this. I want you to get eager to be quiet. Shouldn't we be loud about Jesus? Sure we should. But Paul is saying with this phrase here something more along the lines of this. Believers should be calm and quiet in the face of the persecution that is going to come in living for Christ. As believers, we should be able to be restful in the turbulence. We should be peaceful in the panic. We should be calm in the storm. Why? Because we anticipate the return of Jesus and we seek His glory. Now, we, we don't have any idea today what the Thessalonians may have been doing in response to their persecution or if they were lacking some composure and Paul wrote this letter or if he was just giving them general instruction for the future here. But Paul is definitely saying this to them. As believers, we are far more boisterous for the kingdom of God when we sit back and let God do our talking. Let me say that again. As a believer... We are far more boisterous for the kingdom of God when we sit back and let God do our talking. How do we speak loudly for our faith? Sometimes it's by relaxing and letting our faith take its course. By by just sitting back and letting faith and letting God work in our lives. And he kind of tags that quiet thought along when he says, mind your own business. He says, lead a quiet life, and then he says, mind your own business. Now, I would give you a different translation of that, tell you that the Greek means something different, but if you want to get right down to it, it quite literally translates, tend to your own affairs. Tend to your own affairs. Now, this is a popular statement in today's culture, but biblically, did you know this is the only time that these words are mentioned together in all of the New Testament Greek? Now, again, we don't know if Paul was, was, was talking about something specific in the church that needed to be dealt with or if it was a general exhortation. But personally, and this is just my interpretation, you don't have to, to, to take this one. This is not going to add or take to or subtract anything. You come up with your own interpretation. But in my opinion, the strength of the language that he uses, combined with the fact that he never again uses these words in any other letter that he wrote to any other church, makes me believe he was addressing a specific instance in the Thessalonian church. Makes me believe that he was addressing something specific. And he says to them, we see that in, excuse me, look in Thessalonians 3.10, he says, don't be a busy body. That word literally means don't be one who goes around everywhere and does nothing. So he's going to talk about it again. So it makes me believe that Paul felt like in the church there were people who had a habit of fluttering around everywhere and putting their nose everywhere and doing nothing. 
Quite frankly, they had a bad habit of going around everywhere they weren't supposed to be instead of being where God called them to be, putting their nose in everybody else's affair, telling everybody else what they ought to do, but quite frankly, sitting back and doing a whole lot of nothing themselves. And Paul says there's no place in the house of the Lord for a busybody that goes around doing nothing. You need to tend to your own business. You need to do what God called you to do. And let them do what God called them to do. Now did I say you're supposed to not love them? No. We started the chapter out by saying we're supposed to love one another even more than we did before. But loving somebody is not coming along behind them and telling them everything they did was wrong. Loving somebody's praying for them even when they do wrong. Loving somebody's saying I'm here for you if you need some help. Loving somebody is not going to everybody else and telling them what they did wrong. That's being a busybody. That's running around, sticking your nose in everybody else's affair while doing nothing for yourself. And Paul says that's not the way a Christian is supposed to behave. That's not the way a believer will act. Paul says, in fact, these people are undisciplined and a gossip. And in Colossians 3, he says we ought to be working to please our master. So how do we do that as a believer? We love one another. We lead a quiet life and we serve our master. Because quite frankly, if you're about the work of the Lord, you don't got time to be about nobody else's business. You know what? God, God amazingly, sovereignly weaves together our local fellowship. There's not one of you that's here by accident this morning. Nobody's here by happenstance or circumstance or chance. Everybody is here because God ordained that they would be here. And everybody that serves in this local fellowship is here because God ordained that at this time in Rocky Valley Baptist Church history, all of us would be here serving. And you know what he did? He provided us all with something that we do. He provided us all with a talent and an ability and an unction and a service and we don't all do the same thing. You know what that tells me? Is that God's got a plan for you. And if you'll seek out that plan, God will reveal that plan to you. And if you'll serve God and what God called you to do, you'll be doing something that He probably didn't call anybody else to do. Because why would He need to double up when there's so many things that need to be done? No, you don't need to go about telling somebody else or fixing somebody else's. You need to go about serving the Lord. And when you're serving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, you ain't got time to decide what the preacher ought to be doing. You ain't got time to decide what songs the music minister ought to be singing. You can't figure out what lesson Brother Charles ought to be teaching in the Sunday school class. Because you're busy serving God on your own. Maybe your way of serving God is praying for somebody. And you'll be so busy praying you ain't got time to worry about what somebody else is doing. Maybe your way of serving is writing a card to somebody. And you'll write so many cards you ain't got time to worry about what somebody else is doing. We ought to love one another. We ought to mind our own affairs. And we ought to lead a quiet life. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't want anybody to come to me later and say, Well, Brother Jason, I'm supposed to mind my own business. So that means we're supposed to ignore sin in the house of God. No, the Bible is not contradictory. So when the Bible says that as believers, we ought to look to one another. And if we notice somebody living a lifestyle of sin or slipping into a world of sin, we don't, we don't throw those scriptures from Matthew out the door because of something that he wrote in Thessalonians. Completely different. I'm talking about being a busybody sticking your nose where it don't belong. If somebody is living a reckless life of sin, you ought to go to them privately, put your arm around them and tell them that you love them and you don't want to see them go down that road. This, this is in no way taken away from the scripture in Matthew. I wanted to, to say that. And finally this morning, Paul says, we ought to love one another, we ought to live quietly, and we ought to live a life that's marked by labor. 
We ought to live a life that's marked by labor. Look at the rest of verse 11 with me. He says, work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, here's what Paul's talking about there. In, in that time, in that culture, the free Greeks, that's the Greeks who, who, who had their freedom, believed that manual labor or working with your hands was something that only a slave should do. And that a free man should never, ever, ever stoop themselves so low as to doing a manual labor. But the Christian community considers work an honorable effort. And in fact, most of the new believers who were being converted to Christianity in that time would have found themselves coming from the working class or the slave class. And so Paul is exhorting these new believers, quite frankly, to just keep working the way they had been working. And here's what was happening. The slaves, when they got free, began to hear Paul teaching about their freedom in Christ. And they began to think that because they had freedom, they were greater than their owners and said, well, we don't need to do that manual labor anymore because now we're free too. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul's going to address them again when he uses that famous verse that, that he says, you've become unconcerned with the needs of those around you. And if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Paul's going to address this again. Because what had happened is these slaves had gotten a little dose of Jesus, but they didn't have enough understanding of what they were being free from. Jesus wasn't setting them free from their manual labor. Jesus was setting them free from their burden of sin. And so what they did was they got this little dose of freedom and they ran with it. They said, I don't got to do this work no more because I'm a free man. But the fact of the matter remained that they were still slaves to those masters in that time. And so there was quite a, a problem culturally, as you can imagine. And Paul says, listen... Your master's the one providing your food for you. If you don't work, you ain't going to eat. And you shouldn't. And the church shouldn't take care of you because you're too sorry to do what you're supposed to do. That's what Paul was saying. I, I, I summed it up in good old Rocky Valley country terms. But that's basically what Paul was saying to them. If you're too sorry to do what's been provided for you, the church ought not be lifting you up and feeding you. I'm not saying somebody loses their job, we ought not feed them. I'm saying somebody's too sorry to do what they've been called to do and what they've been given. Paul says you've become a deadbeat. You've become a busybody. You've become troublesome. And it's unacceptable for a true believer. In fact, it's not even the mark of faith that you would live that way. Think of our examples. Paul made tents. Jesus worked with wood. And Paul is saying here, don't you, don't you get a little bit of Jesus and flip over into some status of some lofty theologian where you think you just sit around the campfire and discuss the things of the Old Testament and the ways of the law of Moses and the grace of Jesus Christ and, and you don't have to continue to work with your hands. None of you have been called from that. My friends, the church is no place for a lack of love. No place for loud, boisterous living. No place for busybodies. And it's no place for laziness. Well, that isn't a very exciting statement in this time where we need to evangelize like crazy Brother Jason. Just a few weeks ago, you told me I ought to be going out and telling people about Jesus. And now you're telling me I ought to be quiet and mind my own business. So which one is it? It's yes. Look at verse 12 real quickly. Let me tell you how this is evangelizing. It says what? Work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly towards those who are outside. 
That's evangelizing, folks, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and lack nothing. You know, evangelism is not some booklet. It's not some pamphlet. It's not some evangel cube. All of those things are great tools that you can use. I'm not knocking those things. But that's not what the evangelism program is. We could launch a 38-step program here at this church. I could write a booklet called How to Evangelize the Universe, and I could teach it to you, and you could all buy into it, and it still wouldn't be the best method of evangelizing. Did you know that the best method of evangelizing since the times of Paul and since the times of Jesus has always been when the people of God live out their faith? When the people of God respond to their holy God and their life changes in response because of that faith. You want to evangelize the people at your workplace? When the boss comes in and isn't fair, respond with humility. And watch everybody around you who's used to seeing everybody complain go, what makes that guy different? That wasn't fair, what, what the boss just told them. You want to evangelize your, your family? When the sickness hits, put your faith in God. And keep praising him in the storm. And watch them go, How's that, how, how are they acting that way? How can they respond? You want to evangelize the world around you? Live your faith. Because quite frankly, faith in Jesus Christ will change the way you live. So how do I know that I'm saved? Am I different than I was before? Am I different than I was before? Because Jesus doesn't go anywhere that he doesn't change everything. So how do we respond this morning? Well, quite frankly, some of us need to love one another. Some of you need to go to a brother or sister or a friend or somebody in this, in this church house. And you don't need to let this day rest before you've made amends with them, before you've told them you love them. Some of you need to Commit to loving the Lord enough to give in your time, your energy, and your effort to him. We need to keep on keeping on, church. Now's not the time to quit. Now is not the time to quit. So this morning, we make a commitment that we won't quit, that we'll serve the Lord with gladness. We'll love one another. We'll do all these things that Paul has, has written to us in the last two weeks. And we'll be about the work that the Lord has laid ahead of us. And nothing less, but nothing more. And for somebody here, I believe you've listened to this message and the whole time you've thought, eh, I don't even know what he's talking about serving the Lord. It's because you've never trusted the Lord. Would you make this your day where you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Let us pray. God, our Father, we come to you this morning. And God, we thank you for your word, even when it's convicting. God, we thank you that we can be part of a local fellowship, that we can serve you and we can worship you, Lord God. 
But God, we realize that any time you get this number of people together trying to do anything, that sometimes there's going to be dispute. And sometimes there's going to be discord. And sometimes there's going to be disruption. But God, that is no excuse for not loving one another. Because you've called us to love deeper and to love better than we knew was possible. So God, give us the unction and the conviction to love one another, Lord God. Give us the strength and the desire to serve you with an unfailing drive. God, if there's somebody here this morning who's never accepted you as Savior and Lord, God, would you save them this morning? God, would you be with our Bible school this week? That we would share your gospel and glorify your name each day. It is in your sweet, precious, heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.